0: Hello everyone and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Game of Thrones. My name is David Chen and I've never read any of the books in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire.
1: My name is Joanna Robinson, and I've read every book in George R.R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire.
0: If you're just tuning in for the first time, here's how we do things here. We talk about Game of Thrones primarily as a television show, and what that means is that we'll spoil everything through this week's episode of Game of Thrones, uh, and that includes uh, everything through, of course, episode... Eight of Season 2, The Prince of Winterfell. We will not be spoiling anything from future episodes, and that includes anything that you read in the books or anything in the next time on preview of uh, HBO's Game of Thrones. So, everything through Season 2, Episode 8, Prince of Winterfell, will be spoiled today. And uh, you can find all of our episodes at GameOfThronesPodcast.com You can also email us, let us know what you think of the show and of the podcast at a cast of kings at gmail.com. That's a cast of kings at gmail.com. So we got a lot of emails in response to our discussion last week. And uh, I wanted to say thank you guys for writing in. Uh, Joanna, I think a lot of encouragement for your perspective on the show uh, continuing to be aired, right?
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was a great week for me and emails. No, thank you guys all. Uh, there were a lot of really thoughtful comments, both agreeing and disagreeing on both sides. And it was just a fantastic week for email feedback. So thank yes. you guys so much.
0: So keep those coming to at gmail.com. Let's talk about some of those emails right now. And, and actually, so uh, the, the overall sentiment was, uh, Joanna, keep doing what you're doing. Right. uh, On the feminism perspective. And also, uh, stop reading emails of people that don't like the show. I think is what, (laughs) is what, uh, the general sentiment that we got was. So, uh, we will follow those things and let's, uh, proceed with some email. One email here that I really enjoyed from Heather. Heather writes in saying, uh, from Stanford, California, thank you for reminding us that you are not criticizing the book or the story for being sexist or misogynistic. You are pointing out the totally obvious sexism. Of the HBO adaptation. The argument that this is based on the Middle Ages and women were sex objects in Chatel back then will not fly to justify HBO's depiction of these women. Women in the Middle Ages did not have Brazilian waxes, they did not have perfect teeth and hairless armpits, they did not wear wonder bras or do Pilates. in short, they did not look like softcore porn stars. If Asha and Roz and the other ladies were stripping down to reveal authentically medieval body hair, missing teeth, leathery skin, saggy boobs, etc., then I would consider the authenticity argument. But as it is, no. Keep pointing out the obvious. Uh, your thoughts on this email, Joanna?
1: Oh, that was a great email, and uh, it actually hadn't even occurred to me. And it's a fantastic point. Uh, we saw some uh, nudity in the in the episode this week that you know was was very well waxed, I believe. And um, <laughs> someone someone pointed out to me that we did see Renly get his chest shaved last season. So perhaps there is some sort of medieval precedent for scraping away body hair. But something tells me that Lady Talisa on the front line of the battlefield did not go and meticulously shave all the hair off her body before she went to talk to Robb Stark.
0: Well, Joanna, I think you're missing the obvious implication of Game of Thrones, which is that this is an alternate universe. So uh, it's a medieval world in which the woman did get electrolysis and so on. So, like, yeah. that's that's the one difference is that they're treated as property and everything. Everything else is the same as us, except for the fact that they all are well groomed. Did um, you have? Like,
1: would they would they have like dragon fire singe all the air off their bodies? Is that yeah, uh, done in Westeros?
0: I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm sure people have <laughs> speculated on that fact though. Uh, but in any case, Heather, yes, this is a great email and. I mean, I think this email alone kind of totally destroys all the opposing arguments about like... like, Because, okay, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of guys writing in saying, how dare you question my love of the nudity of this series? And, you know, uh, I dare. I dare. And it's (laughs) it's emails like Heather that really kind of help to explain why your position is completely ridiculous. And there are some sort of... Arguably sexist ele- they, they might not be unequivocally sexist, but they are certainly arguably sexist elements of game of Thrones so
1: for instance, have we seen any maleful frontal nudity on Game of Thrones? no we have not no we have not we have
0: not although in general male frontal nudity is something that 's avoided in you know popular culture and entertainment um, uh, for some reason and this is actually this is true an erect penis is uh, does more to sort of get your film rated NC-17 than any sort of, any plethora of of uh, female body parts. And I don't know why for that double standard, but, you know, it's, it's the way it is. And I think that's reflected in the TV world as well. I, I feel like HBO could show it if they wanted to, but they don't, right? Um, so, yeah.
1: I'm just saying, I'm going to speak for all the ladies and say, what's up with that, HBO?
0: Yeah, what is up with that? What is up with that? Anyway, Casey writes in uh, regarding my comments last week about the sun rising and setting in Iceland. Uh, he says, I've been to Iceland several times and lived in Norway for a while. Iceland in the summer, it's always daylight. The sun never sets. I've sat outside in a hot pot until 4 a.m., having completely lost track of time because I was it was perfectly bright daylight the whole time. Hot pot equals the English word Icelanders use for their geothermal hot tubs that are all over the country. They are awesome. So I'm guessing they filmed Game of Thrones in Iceland either in the spring or fall. In the summer, there is a lot of uh, not a lot of consistent snow, unless you get pretty far up in the mountains and glaciers. In the winter, it is pretty much dark all the time, so there's no real sunrise or sunset. If they filmed in the spring or fall, it is sunrise slash sunset for a very long time, as the sun never gets very far above the horizon. So I, I had a feeling that someone in our audience would know the details about that, And uh, hopefully Casey's not just making all this stuff up, but uh, thank you for, for writing in and explaining what's going on there.
1: Yeah. Casey wasn't the only one. We got a lot of um, information about the sun in Iceland. Way, way
0: more information than we ever needed to know about the sun in Iceland. But But it's
1: kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. Those scenes are totally beautiful. Uh, I I will also say I've just moved to Seattle and uh, this is, I think our third episode recording while I've been in Seattle and uh, the sun here, man, it's crazy. Like it, uh, during the summer the sun doesn 't set until like ten uh ten p m so uh people are just out until all hours of the night because it 's light out so it 's pretty amazing and then of course the winter it 's like dark it 's like light for like four hours of the day so I guess you uh you make that trade off anyway
1: and right. it rains all the time. Yes. Oh, have fun.
0: Hey, um, thanks, man.
1: You're welcome. I also want to say that today we had a solar eclipse, right? And I believe that that happened because it is Dave Chen's birthday today. So happy birthday, Dave oh, Chen. Thank you, Joanna. This solar eclipse is for you.
0: So what? You, what is a solar eclipse? Is that when the moon blocks out the sun? Right. I see. So what you're saying is that uh, the solar eclipse is basically uh, the blocking out of the source that gives Earth light and sustenance. That's that's kind of the occasion of my birth. Is I actually saying?
1: might be entirely wrong. It might be the opposite. <laughs> I have a feeling that someone will email us and let us know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> f- apparently 26. very knowledgeable fans about, about about sun patterns and and solar uh, solar phenomena so yeah. all right anyway enough about uh emails the emails are great keep them coming in at a cast of kings at gmail.com only two episodes remain of game of thrones and thus uh a cast of kings this season after this episode so uh we're, we're gonna at some point i'm gonna want to do a survey of people and, and see if uh, they want us to return next season but uh for now let's talk about this episode the prince of winterfell joanna robinson general thoughts on this episode
1: I think they did a lot of setting up this episode. Um, I did an article um, over on pajiba.com uh, on Friday of last week about all – this is for you people who like spoilers, not the people who don't like spoilers who are listening to this. I did a spoil heavy, spoiler-heavy piece on all of the things they have to accomplish in the next three episodes. Now they only have two episodes. Basically, they only checked off like two things on my list. Yeah. And uh, set up everything else – but, you know, they're just going to cram it all down our throats for two hours of madness. And uh, so you this hope, episode is a hope, lot of Joanna. setup. You hope. I hope. Yeah. I,
0: I mean, Joanna, like, I remember you said last week, yeah, dude, the stuff that's going to happen in these next three episodes, it is about to go off the hook. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get into this. And this episode was just a lot of table setting. It wasn't very interesting. I did not uh, like this episode very much. I mean, it's just all this setup. Plotlines that I wasn't interested in at all, like the Talisa plotline with Rob Stark. Um, it, yeah, it just a lot of setup, and I am not sure if they're going to pay it all off. But let's talk about uh, this.
1: Well, next week, Dave. Next week, it's, gotta go yeah, it's it got to go off. Yeah, it
0: has to be good. It has to be good. Uh, oh, we got some email. Uh, someone emailed in writing in support of my th- quote-unquote theory that TV show episodes should be able to stand on their own. Thank you for that. And, uh, and supporting what I consider to be a fairly obvious point. But I think the whole, like, oh, just wait and see, it's all going to make sense after five years and five seasons, uh, no, uh, we we have to evaluate this as it comes to some degree while also keeping an eye out on the broader picture.
1: Absolutely, but but don't worry, you don't have to wait for five years. I swear to the seven gods or whatever that there is something good at least coming before the end of the season, all right. at least one thing. Not five. <laughs> okay, okay,
0: all right. <laughs> this episode begins with uh, Yara riding into Winterfell, and Theon, I think, like expects some kind of homage or something. You know, like he expects some kind of uh, a curtsy, perhaps some kind of sign of respect, and instead gets nothing as usual.
1: It's not a single genuflect was yeah. given that day.
0: Yeah. And- um.
1: Well, also, he wanted her to bring men because he needs a crap ton of men to help defend Winterfell because, you know, Rob Stark is going to send a lot of people after him now that he knows that Winterfell has been taken and Yara brings like 10 men and I don't think she even leaves them. So he's super screwed with his ragtag bunch of guys trying to defend Winterfell against an onslaught of, of Northerners coming to, you know, kill him. So,
0: and then they have this confrontation, uh, and it's not in t- 100% clear to me. It's mostly clear to me. My understanding is that she's kind of pissed because he's ostensibly killed – uh, Brandon Rickon, right? Is that right. is that why she's like really upset at him? Because she's like, look, you've put your you put this whole mission in jeopardy. Everyone wants to kill you now. So now we got to get you back home. You're basically a huge pain in the ass. I think is is the impression I got from that scene. Um, yeah,
1: that he did this big thing, but he did it so stupidly. And instead of impressed, she's like, look how dumb you are. You kill the only leverage you had, you know, quote unquote. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, there's no way you're going to get out of this alive. And then he refuses to go with her. Um, You know, and I will say this, the Yara in the show is nicer than Asha in the book because she does not offer to take him home. She was just like, you're fucked, buddy. Enjoy it. You know, at least there was this interesting, like, your family, come home, don't die here. And Yeah, uh, and they have this
0: tender moment, too. Like, for the first yeah. time, they, like she finally gives Theon what he wants, which is like some kind of love and affection, like, or, or at least a hint of it. Right. A hint that she cared about this person. Right. Uh, And so that was kind of interesting and moving to see. Um, But then she's just like, okay, well, I'm out of here. Like, it's just like, (laughs) well, um, you know, it's not even like I've always cared about you. It's just kind of like, yeah, there was this moment I almost wanted to kill you and I didn't. Bye. Like, that's essentially what it was. Yeah. and by the way, uh Joanna, the, the character you're referring to, uh Yara is named Asha in the book, right? We should just clarify that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. So that's uh, but they changed it to Yara because to avoid confusion with Asha O S H A, uh, which is um brand's helper in Winterfell. The organization
1: um, of self and sa- safety and health, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: Um so <laughs> So, uh as usual, the Theon and Yara storyline continues to be the most interesting for me. I think, uh oh. yeah, I, I, you know, he's just a really compelling character to me. And uh, I thought it was, you know, pretty interesting how it played out this episode. Uh, he, he's such a tragic figure, you know, like, he he clearly screwed himself over. And it, it's just like, dude, every single time I see him, I'm just like, man, you traded away, like, the love and respect of Rob Stark for this, you know? I just feel bad for him and uh yeah it's i i enjoyed the way this continues to play out
1: and then you think about the fact that he killed two innocent boys just to not look foolish
0: yeah i mean he's done a bunch of dickish things so you know he, he he's trapped in a web of his own devising uh and it's really sad to see we also went far north of the wall this week to john snow and egret's continual romantic adventures and um John Snow is spared uh Corin Halfhand is also spared uh because he's the one that theoretically knows the most and we we learned that all the other men from the Night's Watch that John was with uh were slaughtered. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So sucks for them and uh, and they cuz they went looking for John, I guess.
1: Right. Still still doesn't really
0: make much sense to me, but whatever. Uh, I'm going to assume by the end of the season it's going to make sense or I'm going to give you a really hard time about it, I think is what we're going to say.
1: They've changed some stuff and I'm not going to go into it too yeah. much, but I will say that I always thought of the whole egret saving John as like a little like Arctic Pocahontas moment and uh it sort of lacked the drama <laughs> that it had for me in in the book, I think largely because of the way they've changed some things. But um, we did get to meet Rattleshirt, who's the, the guy with the skull on his head. She, I think she called him the master of the bones or lord of the bones. Um and he's the leader of that that wildling band, and he's sort of an interesting. I mean, anytime you meet someone who's wearing a skull as a hat, it's kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. He's he's, he's an
0: interesting character. Uh, interesting look that they had. I also just love that scene of them all walking across the ice. It was used in the trailer, and it's just such a beautiful scene. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just continually gorgeous cinematography. I think this episode was directed by Alan Taylor, if I'm not mistaken, who's like one of the uh, main sort of guys like one of one of the primary directors uh of the show like one of the people that um kind of guides the show's creative direction so
1: what i heard i was reading something i think it was that wall street journal that you and and miles mcnutt were talking about a couple episodes back and they were talking about how they had split crews you know it's hard to say like that one person directed an episode well i don't want to, i don't want to sound ignorant but it's yeah, that's hard true. for me to conceive that one person directed an episode when they they claim that they had the dragon crew which was like the people who are with danny and that sort of stuff and then the wolf crew i think is what they called the people who filmed the wintry scenes so they had like the southern crew and the northern crew and so um, I'm just trying. I'm just interested to know how they attribute direction to one person.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, I guess there's one person that has to be like, here's how this episode's going to go. Uh, there's obviously an editor, but the director has to help the editor or work with the editor to to make sense of the episode and all the different plot lines. So, yeah. uh, so you're right in that Alan Taylor probably wasn't, you know, actually there. But it, you know, it's he's, this kind of stuff happens all the time in the movie industry too. And so. Right uh where they have like second units and whatever it's just the the show is so spread out all over these different places that it's more pronounced i think in this show than in others right um all right so they have this confrontation with with Corin and uh John where Co- Corin's like you know like w- w- what did he say uh Joanna they had this like they're kind of in the rope line and and John's trying to talk to so and So they work.
1: had, yeah, they had this hushed conversation first where Corin is saying, you know, in order to find out exactly what Mance Raider, who's that King you know, that all the wildlings are following in order to find out exactly what he's up to. We have to infiltrate his army and sort of, you know, go turn cloak and, and follow him. And John's like, yeah, as if they're ever going to trust me. And Corrin says, uh, they will, if you do what you need to do when the time comes, I believe. Some I'm paraphrasing. Absolutely. Right. And then he starts a fight loud enough that everyone can hear and then sort of kicks John down the snow and two. So yeah, yeah,
0: not really sure what's going on exactly, but I assume that like he i I mean I thought they they were gonna like pull something out right there, like where
1: they should have yeah, like you where Corin would have happened in this episode,
0: yeah, like Corin like was gonna start some kind of fight and they get in some kind of fight, and then like John needs to kill Corin or something to win their trust or something, I mean that's what I thought was gonna go down, but it didn't it just ended up being kind of lame and confusing, so and
1: then he gret sort of like holding his sword, looked at him. And that was the end of that interchange. Yeah. It was very so, odd. It it was was odd.
0: It was weird. It was weird. Anyway. All right. And, and then, then, then
1: you had Sam and the, and the like if we're still talking about the Night Watch, yep. there was Sam and the other guys um, unearthing that horn with all the obsidian arrowheads and that sort of stuff. So um, that was kind of fun to see. Uh, I don't think that they're the ones who find it in the book, but it doesn't really matter because, you know, it's a reminder that those characters are still alive. So, hey. But it's not, it's
0: not clear to me what, like how obsidian is special or you know like and why do they like i thought they would call it my my theory was like oh this is some kind of glass that can cut through anything or whatever but they called it obsidian which i don't think in real life it has uh i I don't know what the military applications of obsidian are in real life but uh i'm guessing it's not the most powerful sort of material in the world so it's not 100 percent clear to me where that's going either but uh, and I'm not asking you <laughs> where it's going, Joanna, but I'm just I can't saying. Tell you. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, yeah, I, I don't know what exactly is going on there. So, um, so yeah, that's what's going on with the Night's Watch this week. And, uh, I, I thought it was, it was okay. Uh, it was gorgeously shot, uh, set, setting up for hopefully some interesting stuff that's going to happen down the line. Uh, we also got, uh, a lot of Rob Stark this week, more than, I bargained the for season
1: combined. I think.
0: I, I think we saw way more of Rob Stark than we needed to, if you know what I'm saying, Joanna. Um, um, but but
1: uh, quite enough of Lady Talisa. Or? Yes,
0: indeed, indeed. Um. Anyway, all right. So I did really like the confrontation between Rob and uh, and Catelyn. Like that's that was uh, fascinating because he's he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. You have this woman who, yeah, definitely betrayed him. And I'm not a, like. <sighs> It's just, uh, it was it was frustrating because, you know, like as the as the viewer, you know, there's this dramatic irony going on where you know that uh Littlefinger doesn't have Arya, so at most this is going to give her her one daughter back, and maybe may may not even accomplish that depending on how this goes down. Uh, and it's just so frustrating to see it happen, you know, to see Catlin betray Rob in this way. Uh, and I thought Rob's reaction was appropriate. It must have been difficult for him, but I thought he did a good job because he's like, you know, he's gotta, he can't just be double standard just because you're you're related to him, you know. Right. Uh, what did you make of that confrontation, Joanna?
1: Um, I think it's interesting because in in the book, they um, news has gotten out to both Catlin and Rob that Bran and Rickon are dead or who they think are Bran and Rickon are dead. And so when Catelyn frees Jamie, it's because all she thinks she has left is her two daughters, you know? And she doesn't know that Arya is not there, obviously, so she's acting out of desperation. And, you know, all of Rob's actions in this episode, including his interaction with Talisa – born out of grief and panic at his two younger brothers being killed. So the fact, I don't know why the, in in case, well, just, I guess the showrunners are saving all of the emotional impact for the end, so those characters are gonna hear this news at the end of the season when there's already all this other stuff they have to accomplish. I don't know why they're holding off on it, but um, it just makes much more sense for their characters to have that extreme emotional motivation than just sort of...
0: Than just sort of, like, Catelyn felt like it. Yeah. And so that's why he did yeah.
1: it. You know? And so then you don't respect these characters as much because you don't think their judgment is as sound as, you know, it might be. So you can make excuses for them because they're grief stricken, but if they're just doing it with a quote unquote clear head, then you know
0: Yeah, I mean I, I agree that it didn't really make much you know, it's just like it's frustrating to see Catelyn behave like this in this episode. So uh I'm not sure exactly what's going on or why they made that decision. But it's probably safe to say that the effect is a negative one. However, Joanna, who knows? Maybe it's all going to make sense in the end.
1: Maybe they've I, got a trick up their sleeve.
0: I highly, I highly doubt that, but <laughs> um, but maybe it will. Maybe it will. So.
1: And and for the listeners who are keeping score at home, and think that I have a problem with all nudity and sex scenes ever, I did not have a problem with Lady Talisa and Rob Stark. It made sense to me this episode. I think some nudity in its place is fine. So it has my stamp of approval this
0: week. Well, I don't think it was full frontal this episode. I think it was like some side boob action, if I'm not mistaken. No, we got
1: some, we got some good bum action too. Uh, that, that was yeah. the fans of the, of the bums.
0: Yes, yes. So, so uh, in, in any case, yeah, uh, this... Okay, so I thought the Rob and Talisa storyline well acted. You know, it was decent storyline, but... Uh, it, it it just i did not care i i just can't bring myself to care about this plot line i don't know why um maybe it's because i am literally more interested in every single other character in this show than you know the robin Talisa interaction uh i i don't know how you felt about this the scene between them where they finally decide to consummate their feelings for each other
1: yeah i d- i i thought that the um the acting was great. I think this is the best acting we've seen, actually, from Rob um,
0: and Talisa. I thought
1: and Talisa, her monologue was great. Yeah. I thought, um, and she did it with her clothes on, which is which is a rarity. So and,
0: also- and not while getting boned. So that's also <laughs> yes, good. So
1: there you go. Um, but um, I don't know. I I think they've done a poor job with Rob in general, and it's hard because. Um, for those of you who haven't read the books, the chapters in the books are point of view chapters from different characters' point of view. Rob doesn't have any point of view chapters, and so I think they're having a really hard time making him a really good character because you don't have that insight into him, and so that's why I think he falls flatter than a lot of the other characters because you don't have that same insight and you just don't care, you know, as much for him. You want to, but yeah, like
0: like who care? I don't know. I don't know why, but I just. Like everything else in this show is so high stakes. Do you know, like the lives of thousands and thousands of people that just this love story, it just doesn't I don't I don't know why. Like it, it's not I feel like it's not poorly done. Um, but I just cannot bring myself to care about it. I'm just kept thinking, like, whoa like, why can't we find out what Stannis is doing? Why can't we find out what Daenerys is doing while we're watching this love story play out? I don't know. I just I, I don't know what's wrong with me, Joanna. I just uh I can't I can't uh can't feel anything here man. Can't feel anything. Anyway. So
1: um I think uh, well we'll just have to see what happens.
0: Yeah, I, I, and also like if I'm not mistaken, right, other than Tyrion and uh and Shae, right? There's there hasn't really been that much of a of a love story playing out over a series of episodes, right? And even that is, like, debatable in in how much of a love story it is. And certainly how much of a conventional love story it is. So this is very much, like, out of character for Game of Thrones, well, and, last
1: season we had Danny and Cal Drogo were sort of like the love story that we got to watch all last season. Yeah, but
0: again, like, that's like an unconventional love story as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, 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 <laughs> this is like a rom com love story. Like, or, or you know, like we've seen this plot tons of times. Star crossed lovers. He's promised to someone else. He's not supposed to marry her. She's like, a, a, like in a lower station in life, blah, blah, blah. Like, we've seen this type of story over and over again. Um, and, it just—it's. Uh, I expect Game of Thrones to be a little more unique and conventional uh, and unconventional. You know what I'm saying?
1: Speaking of rom-coms, though, can we talk about my favorite sequence from the episode, which was Jamie and Brienne on the road? If you want to talk about hijinks and romantic—no, there was no romantic tension at all. No. Uh, <laughs> but just sort of that—that that buddy comedy on the road. Uh, yeah, it was was had, it Pre- great, yeah, it was pretty hilarious. It was pretty
0: great. Yeah, to admit. Pretty awesome.
1: Um I really love how um someone wrote in last week because um that you know the book book 2 ends with a cliffhanger we don't know what's going to happen to Jamie and so they're sort of wandering into book 3 territory here but it's fine I mean it's absolutely fine I don't think it's ruining anyone's lives and um and I just I really liked it I think that um I miss Jamie more than I ever thought I would and I'm so glad to have him back
0: yeah, uh, it was, it was really amusing. Um, but I, I don't know exactly what Jamie's game is precisely. Like, cause th- does he want to be killed? Is that why he's taunting them? I mean, he could just theoretically kill himself, right? So I just don't get it really. Like, he's just being a dick and assuming they won't kill him because he's too valuable, right? Is that, like, I don't, I don't know what his game is. What is the goal of being such an obnoxious person is my thing.
1: Uh, he's a Lannister. He was born that way.
0: I guess. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. He can't help himself. Right. Um, we had a really nice confrontation this week between, at King's Landing, between Cersei and Tyrion. And, uh, this huge, tense scene where you're like, oh no! She's found out about Shay! And, uh, and then they bring out Roz, and Tyrion's like, oh, okay. Well, I have to pretend like this is Shay. Uh, and that was kind of amusing, but, I had one question. Cer- um Cersei mentioned uh the this necklace that Tyrion had gotten for for her, right? What 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 is up with
1: that? Um I don't know. It's a I think it's a sort of desperate act because uh Roz, I think as everyone knows at this point is a completely manufactured character from the TV show Game of Thrones and they're putting her in there. So she can be naked a lot. I think that's what everyone has decided about Roz.
0: Not, not only not only be naked a lot, but witness uh, tons of horrors and be abused is I right. Smacker, he's a, re- a repository for all the abuse and horrible things in the show. <laughs> right.
1: So we were one. I think some people were wondering why they are keeping her around this season, and then people sort of guessed that she would be a substitute for another, a whole different whore character. And it makes sense that that other whore character is tied to Tyrion. Roz, there's like a really tenuous connection there, where he like hired her for for Joffrey, and then you know she had to beat someone, and it was terrible. And so maybe off off screen somewhere, he gave her. Um, A gold lion necklace, and that's how Cersei decided that she was his favorite. It's a very tenuous connection that they sort of tried to fabricate there. Yeah. The the gold lion necklace is is her connection, and so she thought she had him, I guess.
0: And how much does your respect for Cersei go down this episode when you're like, okay, you have no idea what the hell you're doing? Uh, Certainly it did for me. This scene when he's like, you know, your your joy will turn to ashes or whatever – That that's an awesome line and awesome like well delivered, but it kind of lost its power given that Cersei didn't actually take the thing that was most valuable to Tyrion.
1: I will hurt you for this. The day will come when you think you're safe and happy, and your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth, and you will know the debt is paid. Get out. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting bait and switch. Um, but yes, you're you're right that you sacrificed your respect for Cersei's intelligence. I think she's unraveling a bit. The sharpness we saw in Cersei in season one, I think we've seen a lot of that come apart in the season when she doesn't have Jaime by her side. She's realizing that her son is a little psychopath. You know, she she's gotten what she wanted, which is her husband, who she hated out of the way, but she's finding herself ill-equipped to handle this role, you know. Like she's wanted all this power. She played the Game of Thrones and she pretty much won, but she's not happy. And so I think you're just seeing her kind of start to unravel. I think is what is what this scene helps show. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, you know, like you thought of her even at the beginning of the season, you thought of her as like this kind of invulnerable, omniscient type of person, and now she's like, she has no idea what she's doing. Very clearly, she has no idea what she's doing. So, uh, And I just feel bad for Roz. Roz is just one of those characters, we've seen these type of characters in TV shows where they like just receive all the abuse. There's, right. a char- there's a character in season one of Homeland, I'm not going to give away who it was, because we got crap about spoiling another TV show last week, uh, but there's a character in season one of Homeland who's like, all he did all season was get abused, and uh, this is clearly Roz's lot in life as well. So
1: same same deal in season three of Justified. I won't say who, yeah, but there is one character. Yeah, so everyone needs a, everyone loves a punching bag, and I guess the punching bag of Game of Thrones is Roz. So,
0: yeah, we also saw a, a pretty interesting confrontation or a discussion, I should say, between Tyrion and Varys. Uh, a nice appearance by Joffrey. You know, Joffrey is one of those people that everyone just loves to hate. And I, I kind of, I gotta admit, I was like, "Oh, Joffrey's back!" It's like an- another scene in which I can violently hate Joffrey again. And he, he did not fail to deliver here. So he had uh, so
1: much swagger. He had like Danny Zuko levels of swagger, where he was just strutting around and like looked so foolish. Um, you know, just. The last time we saw him, right, he got slapped upside the head by Tyrion, and he's learned nothing. He'll just,
0: yeah. I I, I literally, as I said, uh, or I think my colleague Devendra on the Slash Filmcast put it, like, I literally fear for the actor that plays Joffrey, his life. Like, just, you gotta imagine there's tons of people who, like, their reality, maybe people listening to the show, whose line between reality and fantasy is a little bit blurry, and may just really violently hate him, you know what I mean? Because he is so anger-inducing. He He's the perfect combination of villain and douchebag, you know, like e- evil and douchebag, I should say, um, that uh, he just comes off in a really bad way every single week. Um, so I'm always, I'm actually grateful to see him just be on the show just because I know he's going to get me riled up again, and, and I kind of love that. Uh, but then we also have, this, again, this conversation where Tyr- Tyrion's like, uh yeah, I, I didn't know I'd enjoy playing this Game of Thrones, but that's uh, the name of the
1: show. That's
0: the name of the show. That's the title of the show. Um, but I do. So I don't think they actually said Game of Thrones, did they?
1: No, I don't. Yeah. Think so. so, uh,
0: so yeah. I mean, that's what. What did you think of that that scene, Joanna?
1: Um, I thought it was interesting, and also that earlier scene between Lord Varys and and Tyrion and Bronn, and just sort of talking about the impending. Encroachment of Stannis' troops and, and the strategy. But then also, as you say, that deeper conversation about what it means to be in politics and how John Aaron and Ned Stark, his two predecessors, were good men, but not good politicians. Right. And that Tyrion is a good politician. And maybe that's more important. Maybe you can get more good, you know, more done for the good of the people by being a good politician than being a good man. My brother was the youngest King's guard in history. My sister became queen at the age of 19. When I reached manhood, my father put me in charge of all the drains and cisterns in Custerly Rock. A most high-born plumber. The water never flowed better, and all the shit found its way to the sea. Never expected to have any real power. So when my father named me Acting Hand... You're quite good at being Hand, you know. John Aaron and Ned Stark were good men. Honourable
0: men. But they disdained the game and those who played. You enjoy
1: the game. I do. Last thing I expected. And you play it well. I'd like to keep playing it. If Stannis breaches the gates, the game is over. They say he burns his enemies alive to honor the Lord of Light. The Lord of Light wants his enemies burnt. The Drowned God wants them drowned. Why are all the gods such vicious cunts? Where is the God of tits and wine?
0: Uh, a lot of people have accused the show not of being about anything. It's just like an, a sort of political intrigue and soap opera. Uh, but I think it does have some themes, and I think that's one of them, is like what is, how much secrecy, how much... Lying, how much evil uh, can one put up with in order to? And what to makes jump? a good leader? I mean, yeah. if the
1: whole question of the show is who should take the Iron Throne, you know, you have to keep reframing it. And you know, we had that that conversation between Stannis and Davos, where Stannis is telling Davos, you know, you would be my hand if I were to be king, and you know, then you have to think about, okay, would Davos make a good hand, you know, well, he wouldn't be better than Tyrion, you know, he doesn't have that in him, he's too noble, he's like another Ned Stark, you know, and so it's like, you know, or you think about Danny and her dragons, okay, she's got her dragons, but can she really rule, or Rob, you know, can he really rule, and so it's that whole question of who do you want in charge of your society, you know, in general, so.
0: We have this scene, uh, so... I, I agree completely with you, Jenna. Um, and it'll be interesting to see this play out, uh, in terms of who actually ends up seizing the throne if it ever does get seized. Right. Uh, we have, uh, we, we go back to Heron Hall this week, uh, more scenes of, uh, Arya walking around the war. It's funny. You never notice those squire characters in those scenes, uh, but now that Arya has like basically become one of them, you'll notice them for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, that top
1: bear could be a noble girl in disguise.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Arya is, you know, wants like. By the time she realizes that she wants to kill Tywin, it's too late. Uh, and then she <laughs> she kind of pulls like a dick move on Jack and Hagar and is like kill yourself
1: give a name any name
0: and you kill them anybody by the seven new gods and the old gods beyond counting I swear it all right Jack and Hagar A girl gives a man his own name? That's right. Gods are not mocked. This is no joking thing. I'm not joking. man can go kill himself. Unname me. No. Please. I'll unname you. Thank you. If you help me and my friends escape. (laughs) This would require more than one life. This is not part of our bargain. Fine. Jack and Hagar. A girl lacks honor. if i do this thing a girl must obey a girl will obey a girl and her friends will walk through the gate at midnight you know what would have been awesome is jack and Hagar just like did it unquestioningly and it totally destroyed her plan <laughs> <laughs> he was just like okay and then he slits his throat and then she's like oh wait i did not see that coming um but in any case uh they escape. And he, he, here's the thing. The, the logic of this whole thing kind of starts to fall apart for me, Joanna, because the idea is that Jack and Hagar, uh, was freed and didn't die in that fire or whatever. And so she, he owes, uh, the gods three lives, right? And, and Arya, because she freed him, gets to name the three lives, right? That's right. The, the premise. Right. Uh, thing is, right, in order to facilitate Arya's escape, Dude has to freaking kill, like, eight guys. So it's like, now you've upset the balance again, haven't you? Right? Like, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? Like, those guys weren't supposed to die, you know?
1: (laughs) Who like what other five lives are you gonna yeah exactly
0: yeah it's like it doesn't it just doesn't it's kind of really flimsy it, like I, the whole thing is pretty troubling the idea that this guy like if you think if you take a second to think about it, the idea that this guy believes in this religion so much that he's willing to murder three people that this girl tells him <laughs> is pretty troubling on its face, right um go ahead.
1: Um, well, what I was going to say, did they actually escape in this episode or are they just bracing to escape?
0: No, no they walked out of the gate.
1: Did they? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Wow. Sure. I'm usually, <laughs> for the record, we're recording this right after I watched the episode. Usually yeah. I watch it twice. So, um, I must have spaced out during that. I'm really surprised. Uh, they crapped out on that. The show crapped out big time because that is a huge cool thing in the book and they crapped out. So I will just put that aside. But, um...
0: Well, it was, pre- it was still pretty cool that all those people were, like, dead and propped up somehow. I thought that, that was pretty
1: interesting. God, what, well, I guess I was getting a sandwich when that happened, guys. I'm really sorry. But, <laughs> <laughs> during the escape from Hall. But yeah. um, that's kind of a big deal. And
0: uh, and yeah. just so just so we know, just so you're clear, Joanna, we we know nothing more than that they walked out the gate. I know. Okay. okay I'm not okay. going to say anything. Okay. But
1: um, <laughs> what I will say is um, it, what it... Always seemed like to me, uh, you know, just like Egret and John were like Pocahontas in the snow. This is sort of that whole genie in a bottle trope that you see a lot. So she has three wishes, right? And she found a loophole. She basically got to wish for more wishes, right? Which you know, so it's meant to show that Arya is pretty freaking smart. You know, she found a loophole in his plan. Um, <laughs> she didn't get to kill Tywin, but uh, you know, she got the hell out of there. So that's that's something. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. God, I can't believe they blew the escape from here and all like that. Okay, sorry, guys. I just... I sorry. also, you know... I, 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 I expected I, it to happen next week, and I thought, oh, I, they just sort of set it up. Okay.
0: I want to rewind a little bit and actually mention the uh, Davos and Stannis Baratheon scene. Uh, one, one more time, you, you already mentioned like what Davos's inclination is there. But I love how Stannis is such a relentlessly unlikable character in the show. <laughs> like, so
1: grim, talking it, about it, eating dogs and cats.
0: Even when he's being nice... He's still kind of a dick. Like, yeah. he's like, yo, I want you to be my hand, this awesome honor. Probably the first, like, crabber's son that's ever been the hand, you know, like, just had to get that dig in there type of thing. And it's, <laughs> he's just such, a, he's such an unlikable character. No one wants him to be king. It's kind of like, I, I don't want him to be king. I hope he doesn't become king. Um, and by the way, Joanna, you know, the, here's where the whole thing, like, is so annoying, where, like, Dude, if freaking Smoke Monster Baby can just appear from like out of nowhere, like far, far away, miles and miles away and just freaking uh, put a, a sword through Renly's chest, then why can't they do the same for Joffrey? Or No,
1: no. The rule is um, – sorry. They, they didn't yeah. make it very clear in the show. But the rule is she actually has to be kind of nearby. I and see. So well- that's the whole point of him like – Da- that scene where Davos sort of smuggled her to shore and stuff like that is like she actually has to be quite close to. I see.
0: Yeah, her. they they did definitely. I don't think they made that clear at all. Yeah. And so therefore, I, I don't know why they didn't because it seems pretty important. Um, but I guess they had they had bigger fish to fry, like the Rob Talisa romance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so. So, uh, so yes, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Arya and Jackin and and uh, and getting free, and we'll see where Arya uh, gets to in the future. Hopefully, she can get her hands on a raven and uh, and get word to to Catelyn that sh- she is free, so that Catelyn can feel bad about what she did.
1: <laughs> Even dumber. Can we? Yeah. Can you just? So, okay, never mind. I'll just I'll rewatch the episode. Let's move on. <laughs>
0: uh, so we got like a taste of the Daenerys and and Jorah Mormont. Uh, Plotline this week. And I was like actively irritated because I was like, there's only four minutes left. I know not that much stuff can happen right now. Uh, Not clear to me why if Pyapri has the ability to be multiple man, why he doesn't just force Daenerys to go to the, the hall. Uh, you know what i'm saying like it stuff like this just doesn't make any sense to me like why this you have this magic you introduce this magic if there's no rules and no stakes it just it's not effective storytelling so why why does he just allow them to kind of wander around freely makes no sense completely also i feel like we've seen the exact same scene joanna between daenerys and jorga uh in the la- or Jorah in the last three episodes, where Jorah says something that's like weird and like arguably romantic, and then Danny like turns towards the camera and you see Jorah in the background, and she's like, and then she says something that like contradicts him, like "Why are you doing this type of thing?" And then like turn towards him again, and they have some kind of reconciliation. That same scene has played out three times in the last three episodes. Is it just me?
1: I think you know how I feel about Danny and Jora and that I I do not have any clear judgment when it comes to this. Fair I enough. delighted in that scene. Um but I was also And she she
0: touched him for the first time, I think, right? That was um, like the first time that she touched him?
1: Yeah. Which I thought um, was
0: kind of interesting. But
1: I I expected her thing to happen in this episode. There were so many things I was expecting to happen, and yeah, you're right. Before I did the same thing where I paused my like, DVR to check yeah, yeah. how many minutes we had left, and I was like, really? They're yeah. not even going to do it this week? Really? So... Um yeah, more as you say, more table setting for you know them to just blow our minds for the next two hours. I
0: you better be right. And then (laughs) next week next week it's like more table it's like another three minutes with Danny and Jorah, and Danny turns wistfully at the camera and is like, Why are you doing all this for me?
1: I don't understand. What's
0: going on? Uh yeah, if that happens, Joanna, you know, there's gonna be hell to pay on the podcast.
1: Hell to pay Um, on the podcast.
0: And finally we saw, you know, uh we 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 learned this shocking truth. That Bran and Rickon are not actually dead; they're actually hiding out in the catacombs or the crypts under Winterfell.
1: Quick listener poll: Did any of you <laughs> think that that was Bran and Rickon? Any of you? Because in the even in the book, George R. R. Martin only tries to pull that off for like a hot second, and then he's like, "JK, not them," you know. And so to pull it like to make it the 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 big reveal, know, the like big the, reveal. Yeah twice you know it was the end of last episode and then it's the big reveal this the end of this episode that was uh, it's it was like it's
0: clearly like again it's clear like they're just reaching for for some kind of dramatic tension this episode when there is none um so when they
1: so easily could have put anyway they so easily could have put so many things in here but yeah it, it and it's it's a little um we had someone write in actually, about this, that uh, he was like, oh, it's too bad, they're not hiding in the crypt like they are in the book, because that just makes Theon look like a huge dumbass. And lo and behold, they're hiding in the crypt, right under Theon's nose, um, and he doesn't know that they're there. So,
0: I think one of the single most tragic, off-handed lines ever uttered in Game of Thrones is... Uh, I don't remember what the line is, but Theon's talking to kind of his right hand man, and he's like, "Oh, here's the gold for the farmer. Just pay him off." And he's like, "Dude, what are you talking about? The farmer's like already like continued with his life and stuff." And he's like, "If you want to silence him, you just gotta silence him." And it's like that's the that's the only sort of hint you get at what happened to the farmer. And it's just like, dude, that guy's life must just suck. Like his two sons are, you know, brutally murdered. And then he's murdered. <laughs> you know, like that's that's horrifying. Like, why not just kill all of them at the same time and sp- and spare the, the father the grief? You know. Um, so uh, my heart went out to this off-screen farmer father who uh, is killed in an offhand reference at the end of this episode. <laughs> um, very sad. Very sad. And uh, yeah,
1: we'll pour yeah. one out for him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's the episode of the uh, season two, episode eight of Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. I mean. Overall, it was okay. You know, it's not, not the greatest Game of Thrones episode ever.
1: They just uh, keep pushing. They push, they're they pushing so much stuff in the final two hours, and I can't say... Yeah, okay, okay. So,
0: so you've already said this a bunch of times, and let me just say, like, I, I need to make clear my attitude is, you know, Joanna's like, oh, man, I can't wait till they get to... They're cramming so much stuff into the last two episodes. My far more cynical self says... Uh, yeah, there there's like way too much stuff that they need to do, and they're not gonna get it all done.
1: No, that's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not saying like, ooh, I, I'm kind of pissed this this week. <laughs> I'm no longer ooh. The next, the last three hours are gonna be so fun. I'm like, oh, the last two hours are gonna be so confusing. There's gonna be so much to watch. But um, but, but more
0: likely they're gonna just more likely they're just gonna cut out a bunch of that stuff.
1: Yeah, like the fucking escape from hair and all. I don't know what to tell you, but um. I don't think they can cut any of the stuff, but they might just diminish everything, which why have, you know, two to three episodes of table setting if you're not going to set it off, you know.
0: Well, I I think, Joanna, that what you're underestimating is the value of scenes uh, between Rob and Talisa just hanging (laughs) out, chatting, you know, walking along with horses. Like, that stuff is far more interesting than any of the stuff that you're thinking of right now. So, um, really, that's, I mean... Decision well made, showrunners. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes.
1: Thank you for those <laughs> good call. Lingering shots of Lady Talisa's Good call. That was a good um, use. Of,
0: that was clearly a good use of your time. I think right. is what we're trying to say. <laughs> <Okay>. um, anyway, <laughs> so I mean, you guys may disagree. Let us know what you think. Email us at a cast of kings at gmail dot com. And uh, yeah, let's see if stuff pops off next week. Uh, you can find every episode of our podcast at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. Joanna Robinson, where can you find more of your work on the internet this week?
1: If you head on over to Pajiba.com, which is P-A-J-I-B-A.com, you can find my work, including, uh, for those of you who want to know about my thoughts on spoilers, uh, that article that I posted last Friday. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at QuitYourJRob. Um, I'll see you there.
0: Uh, you can find me at twitter.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY, Dave Chen.net, and uh, my other podcast, Tobolowski and also slash filmcast.com. Please also visit slash film.com, uh, which is a site that makes this entire podcast possible. Thank you guys for listening to this week's A Cast of Kings. We'll see you next week.